Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The Premier of Alberta, as uh, Alberta starts to head toward its provincial election, as Alberta heads toward its um, provincial election this year. And uh, joining us on the program is the Premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith. Premier, how are you? Well, hello, Roy. Nice to talk to you again. It's good to talk to you. What do you make of uh, 752 and the fact that the RGC, the, the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, has not been declared a terrorist entity under Canada's criminal code? Oh, it's clearly a misstep by the prime minister. He he seems to have a very difficult time stepping out and doing the right thing when it comes to those who are a real and present threat to our country and to other and to the, the world security. So I I think um, you'll find that conservatives are very much in alliance on on standing with those who have who have determined that the IRG is a terrorist organization. It's pretty clear from the way they acted in the subsequent months as we were trying to figure out what went wrong that uh, it should have been done by now and it's unfortunate it hasn't uh, there's so many expatriate and uh, long sort of diaspora of ukrainians in our country and in our province in particular i know that many are, are grieving today yeah absolutely and uh, we'll be speaking with michael chong later on this hour the foreign affairs shadow minister for the conservative party he'll be with us all right mr trudeau talks about just transition Two words you're very familiar with and have responded to. The federal government introducing legislation this year, it declares, will be to help workers in the oil and gas sector, Premier, to obtain training and support for transition into green energy jobs. And Mr. Trudeau argues his government legislation is to assure Albertans in the energy sector, quote, continue to be relevant and needed, end quote. You've responded. What would you like our listeners across the country to know? You know, I think we can find some common ground if we're talking about the same thing. I know that often when people talk about transition, they're talking about shutting down industries. That was certainly the way just transition was used when it was applied to the coal industry. So they never should have used that terminology because I think what it does is it signals that they're looking at having fewer workers in this sector. And I'm not. I'm looking at having more workers in this sector because as we expand out, into the hydrogen economy as we start developing carbon technology to capture CO2 and put it into useful project products or bury it underground, as we're doing bitumen beyond combustion and expanding our asphalt, as we're looking at the need for more petrochemicals, as we're looking at the world need for more LNG, this is not an industry on the decline. It is an industry that is very much going to resolve international issues of energy security. And so the the fact that the prime minister is talking in terms of shutting it down, it's not on. We're just not going to do it in Alberta. We're going to grow. We're going to find a way to reach emissions reduction targets using technology. But we're, we have no intention of uh, following a path that's of decline. All right. Uh, and you're right. The world does need Canada's LNG and oil. The world's made that very clear. That's why Mr. Schultz came to Canada in uh, in August of last year. He wasn't here to come up with some non-binding hydrogen export agreement. We don't have the technology for that. So we do need Alberta's natural gas and oil. Um, you've tweeted, it would be helpful if Mr. Trudeau actually called you. What kind of communication exists between you and the prime minister? That's important. Well, virtually none. I mean, I, I did have a courtesy call with him at uh, when I first uh, got elected. 
And I used that opportunity to tell him that we were sending a delegation to COP27, that we were going to make sure that Alberta's story was told on the international stage. I, I told him that we wanted to work on using the green transfer mechanism available under the Paris Accord to get credit back here as we exported LNG. I wanted his support on expanding LNG. And I said that we were not hostile to his aspirations to to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that was my foundational starting point with the, the federal government, which is why it's so irritating that they continue to push forward with aggressive legislation without giving us a phone call to tell us what it is that they have in mind. I mean, I'm, I can only meet the federal government partway, but it's very clear to me that they have aspirations to regulate in our area of jurisdiction. It's part of the reason we put up a shield and said, no, we are going to fully occupy our area of jurisdiction, which includes resource development and conservation. And I, I, I think people need to understand that the, the message has clearly not gotten through with Ottawa. I know people think that I've taken a bit of an aggressive uh, position, but it's because we have these constant aggressive pieces of legislation and policy pronouncements that come from Ottawa w- without any proactive engagement with us. That's not what cooperative federalism is supposed to be about. Premier Smith, let me just expand on that just a little bit. And what you said earlier, the Prime Minister is calling on your province on Alberta to use its surplus to contribute to carbon capture incentives. Mr. Trudeau says, and I'm quoting, there's a political class in Alberta that has decided that anything to do with climate change is going to be bad for them or for Alberta. The Prime Minister says uh, provinces with a surplus have a role to invest in their future and in the future of their or your workers in Alberta. A political class in your province that has decided that anything to do with climate change is going to be bad for them or for Alberta. Respond, please. That's just false. I mean, based on what I just told you about the conversation I had with him initially, the, the, the issue that I see is that there are certain, uh, I would look at it the other way. If you look at what Quebec has done, th- their answer has been to shut in oil and natural gas, to confiscate leases, and to determine that they weren't, aren't going to develop their resource. I, I have to be mindful that the prime minister comes from Quebec. And if that's what Quebec has done, that's the appears to be in our environment minister comes from Quebec, I have to be mindful that that's the framework that they're operating from. We think we can reduce emissions a different way with all of the other things that I had proposed to you. And we are the ones who've been advancing on carbon technology for capture and storage. We've invested billions of dollars in that. We are a world leader in it. And so to act like we're some Johnny come lately to the discussion is offensive, quite frankly. And it suggests to me that the the prime minister isn't even aware of the measures that our companies in Alberta have taken to to be in a leadership role in advancing that technology, which is why they have no business passing legislation regulating an area they know nothing about. So you're going to have challenges when the election rolls around, the campaign rolls around, from within the province of Alberta, as you well know. Do you feel like uh, the federal government, this government currently, is going to be working against you as well, as opposed to taking a hands-off position? I hope not. I mean, I have always said that I'm quite happy to find those areas that we can work collaboratively. And I'll give an example. I mean, next week you'd mention that uh, Germany came calling, looking for help, and the prime minister said there was no business case to export LNG. Well, he has an opportunity next week to make a, uh, to make the right decision when the Japanese prime minister is visiting Canada. He's going to be highlighting LNG needs. He's going to be doing a, a tour of, I think, 12 different jurisdictions, including ours. And I would hope that the prime minister would say, yes, we're willing to work with you. We understand the imperative. We have the resource. We're going to fast track these projects. Because um, if he gives the same kind of answer 
that he did to the German uh, chancellor saying there's no business case, then it's, it shows me that we've got a, a much bigger problem. And I would say we have to remember why it is the federal government continues to um, make these kinds of decisions. It's because they're propped up by the NDP uh, uh, minority party that is acting in coalition with them. And so I think that that's something that Rachel Notley is going to have to answer for. Does she support the, fe- the federal government's along with her federal leaders' aspiration to be phasing out oil and gas jobs. That, I think, is going to be an important part of the next election. And I'm, I can fight that all day long because I know what my answer is. Premier, two things I want to talk to you about. One is health care. We spoke yesterday with the immediate past president and the current president of the Canadian Medical Association, and we received some really tremendous input. I want to ask you about health care for the province. But let me begin with the gun legislation, C-21, uh, the Liberals' gun legislation. Much has been said. More has been written. Claims have been made. Counterclaims followed. The feds are said to be seizing rifles and shotguns from hunters, sports shooters, and ranchers. Mr. Trudeau's government says that's not the case and that hundreds of firearms will remain legal. You've taken steps concerning C-21. Tell our listeners what you're doing, please. What we are doing is very much in sync with what we're seeing in other provinces. In Saskatchewan, in Manitoba, New Brunswick, Yukon, they've all said the same thing. that We're simply not going to enforce the federal confiscation of legally purchased firearms. We have to remember what it is that the public wants. The public wants safe communities. They want the flow of illegal firearms coming across the border, being smuggled and ending up in the hands of criminals. That's what they want to stop. They're not interested in going after hunters and sports shooters and collectors who've legally purchased their firearms as some sloganeering or as some kind of public display of trying to address a problem that it is simply not going to address. I would far rather see the prime minister focus on criminal justice issues. I mean, look at what's happened in Ontario received a call from uh, from Premier Doug Ford, who's very concerned that you've got this catch and release program that's putting hardened, violent criminals on the street, and now they're going out and they're targeting police officers. That's what the prime minister should be focused on. That's what we're concerned about with the criminal use of, of firearms and weapons. And for him to offer this up is simply a distraction. Um, when the bill came for in initially in May, it did not include long guns. And so for them to now propose putting long guns in, it's going to put 2.2 million law-abiding firearms owners at risk of being criminals just because of a, a paper change well, in the status of the firearms. Not, not all of them. Not all 2.2 million. None of them. It should be none of them. That's, I guess, the point, is that there was no need for this to come in in the first place, yeah. and it's a distraction. And it's creating an unnecessary fight. My, my view is go after the criminals. I, I have a lot of capacity to do that, but not go after lo- legally purchased firearms owners. We've had this catch and release program for, for decades. We've had a, a criminal justice system, which, well, Correctional Service Canada has had 50, 50 program, 50% in, 50% out. That's been going on for years. So, but you have, uh, you've instructed police and Crown attorneys to not enforce C-21, yes? Yes, we're, we're not going to... The, the federal government cannot tell our law enforcement to enforce their 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 uh, legislation. That, that that much is clear. They're they're now having to look for other mechanisms to be able to enact their program. But no, we're our policing resources are going to be spent on going after criminals, making sure that we're addressing the very real problem of rural property crime, addressing the very real problem of a gang and organized crime violence in our cities. We're not going to distract our our, our precious policing resources okay. into going after law-abiding firearms owners. Nope. Healthcare. Yesterday, 
Dr. Alika Lafontaine from Edmonton, the current president of the Canadian Medical Association. Dr. Catherine Smart, the immediate past president of the CMA on this program, talking about a broken system. 13 different systems in this country is what we have. We should have one system that actually works, but we have thousands upon thousands of people whose surgeries have been postponed, who can't get diagnosis. Five, five million Canadians have no family physician. What are you going to do about health care in the province of Alberta? Do you think you could lead the country with a health care program and, and initiative that will create uh, momentum for the rest of the country to follow? What, what are you going to do, Premier? I've been watching with some interest about what the Ontario Medical Association has said, and we're already in process on a lot of the, the suggestions that they have, particularly for improving access to, to family doctors, but a few other things. I mean, if I could give some advice to my counterparts in other provinces, I think they should do what I've done already in Alberta and taken a hands-on approach and appointing an official administrator with business skills to go through and work with the management to address some of these pressing problems. The problem that we have right now is that we've set up independent health authorities, but there's very little management expertise, business management expertise within those organizations. And as a result, you've got health ministers who don't have a direct approach in trying to manage the issues as they emerge, boards of uh, directors that are strategic boards that only meet every couple of months. And as a result, we've got a, a system that is clearly floundering and needs some direction. So that's what we're doing in Alberta. We've identified that we want to reduce the amount of time it takes to drop off a patient when they're in ambulance. We want to reduce the amount of time that they're waiting in emergency before they get seen and discharged or seen and admitted. And we are also uh, clearing our surgical backlog. The uh, and, and I'll tell you one of the things that, that you discover when you do take a hands-on approach. I knew that there were operating rooms all over Alberta that had either been mothballed or never put into service. I asked our official administrator, how many are there? There were 55. So, well, how many of them can be put back into service? And he said quite a few of them. And we've already, uh, as a for instance, one hospital, they needed to, 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 to repair the HVAC system. So they've done that, and it's going to be put back into operation. Okay. Now, these are small incremental changes, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a thousand incremental changes every single day to be able to get the system performing at capacity, right. and we're doing that in Alberta. Less than a minute. Do you agree with this? Dr. Smart has said on several occasions on my program that money must follow the patient. 100%. Yeah. I, what we ultimately, I think, are, have to look at is funding a portion of hospitals on a global budget. That's meaning here's money to be able to manage your emergency functions, but you get more money based on the activity that you perform, based on the knee surgeries you do and the cataract surgeries that, that you do and the heart surgeries that you do. That That's the only way that we're going to get a responsive system. And, and we're absolutely looking at doing that kind of model. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.